Well, it's my intention as we begin a new year to begin a new series with you. And um, for those who are joining us, if this is your first Sunday here, this is a good first Sunday to come if you have interest in understanding what GPC seeks to be as a church and as a church family. And if you've been coming, this may be a sermon and a sermon series that you've been waiting for. Uh, We are coming up in... Uh, April, April will be the two-year anniversary that I was called as pastor at GPC. Actually was, was called in February, but began in April. And this is a series that I would have anticipated doing right out of the gate. But with the interruptions of COVID and sometimes our being outside and sometimes inside and the uncertainty, we just kind of waited until what seemed to me to be the right time to introduce what I'm going to call a philosophy of ministry for the church. A philosophy of ministry for the church. We'll call it nuts and bolts because nuts and bolts are what holds everything together, right? So to speak. Mechanically, that's what hold things together. And I hope over what I think will be about 15 weeks to flesh out some purpose, some principles, some presuppositions, some avenues of ministry, and even some strategies of ministry that may make all of this seem to make a whole lot more sense to you and that hopefully will call all of us to put our shoulder to the plow and push in a common direction, seeing that every one of us has a ministry and a contribution of our gifts to serve the living God. And so to begin... We'll start this morning with an Old Testament and a New Testament passage. Uh, Genesis, actually, that's not correct. Uh, Hosea chapter 2 and then Matthew 28. So give your attention to God's word. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. And I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And then the familiar words from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. Jesus came to them, to his disciples, and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son And of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray for God's blessing on His Word. Lord, that is our prayer that you would bless your word now as we consider what was said and what was given long ago for the instruction of your people for your disciples, for your church. Lord, would you inflame our hearts with truth and with a love for truth. And may we begin to see more and more that church is not a place that we go. It's a people that we are. Do this in us and through us. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1995... I moved my new wife of one year and myself to St. Louis, Missouri, 
where we would attend Covenant Theological Seminary in St. Louis for three years. Wonderful three years spent there, um, learning what it was to be a husband and to be a full-time student in seminary. One of the great findings of those three years in St. Louis was the St. Louis Bread Company. So the St. Louis Bread Company for me would be a place of study, a place of reading, a place of escape, and a place of bagels. Um, It was in these years of my life that I began to learn, stubborn as I was, that if I ate a bagel or two, I would be tremendously sleepy afterwards. It proved to not be a good place to study for that reason unless you just drank coffee. Years later, we would find ourselves moving from St. Louis uh, back to the area to Atlanta and then eventually to Due West where I served at Erskine College. And both in Atlanta and in the area here in Anderson, we didn't find the St. Louis Bread Company. We found the Atlanta Bread Company, right? Now, here in Greenwood, you would know Panera. And all three of these are rooted in the same. They are the same. It all started in St. Louis as the St. Louis Bread Company, and it translated and became Atlanta Bread Company and now Panera. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because through those years, I I became very familiar with all things Atlanta Bread Company, St. Louis Bread Company, and this was prior to Panera. But if you walked in the restaurant, this is what you would find. You would find classical music playing, And on each table, you would find a little folding, I can't think of the word now, but a piece of paper that would advertise their purpose, their mission. And it would say, Atlanta Bread Company, soup, salad, bread. Anybody remember this? Soup, salad, and bread. And sure enough, that was exactly, if you walked into the Atlanta Bread Company, just as Panera now, you're going to find soup, salad, and bread, and mediocre coffee, to be honest. Okay, That's what it was. Consistently, you could walk into any one of those and get the same elements, the same principles, the same commitment. About 2004, 2005, I had been going weekly, once a week, to Anderson, to that bread company to study. And somewhere around 04, 05, on my trip there, something very different affected my experience. It was summertime, and as I walked up to the Atlanta Bread Company, prepared for soup, salad, and bread, and coffee, the doors were wide open in the summertime. And that was the first thing that caught my attention. Usually doors are not wide open in the summer because of air conditioning and heat, you understand. So I walk in and I sit down, and something is very off in this restaurant in the uh, kitchen area and then in the seating area and I sit down and I notice there are flies everywhere flying around in the restaurant and I thought to myself I've never seen this before something something's up then a minute or two later and I was the only customer in the restaurant at this point uh, I noticed something very different happening in the kitchen Soup, salad, and bread was their theme, but on this particular occasion, everyone working behind the counter in the store looked like a teenager in high school. No judgment on teenagers in high school. It's just the observation that I made. 
Then what they had done was they had taken the panini machine, the hot sandwich press machine, and the teenagers were cooking hamburgers in a restaurant that did not have ventilation. That's why the doors were open. And the flies coming in for the smoke. And I took all this in. I mean, I'd been going for years to this particular restaurant and others like it. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, if the owner only knew what the teenagers are up to. Now, that restaurant exists no longer in Anderson. And I think you probably now know why. It quickly went away after that. But I want you to take that story longer than I intended it to be for sure. But I want you to think about this. If you were the owner, the manager, how did we go from soup, salad, and bread to hamburgers on a panini machine? That's what we call mission drift, right? One generation doesn't pass down to the next generation We're all about soup, salad, and bread, people. We're not looking for good ideas to come and hijack the franchise. Uh, There are hamburger joints everywhere, but we're not one of them. Soup, salad, and bread. Those are our principles, right? It's such a vivid and real-life illustration of how easily we can drift from purpose. How easily we can drift from principle if we're not carry. Careful. And so, what I'd like to do for the next few minutes is introduce to you what I call a threefold purpose of ministry. Threefold soup, salad, and bread? No, not exactly. But to reach, to nurture, and to equip. Those, that's our soup, salad, and bread that should be true of any faithful, Bible believing, gospel preaching church that we seek to reach people for Christ, we seek to nurture them and their families in Christ, and we seek to equip them for service in God's world. Okay, That's the big picture, as I'm going to summarize it, as a clear and focused purpose that no church should ever drift from. No church should ever drift from. So first, well, what does it mean to reach? What does it mean to reach? If that's the first of of the three-pronged purpose, to reach, nurture, and equip. Today we're going to start with reach, and you now know what the next two weeks will be. What does it mean to reach? I'll put it in my words this way. What I mean and what I think the scriptures teach us, the church as a reaching community is to be a sincere, welcoming, generous, inviting and growing community of faith and worship that boldly, clearly, and lovingly presents the free offer of the gospel in word and in deed. Now, I know that's a loaded sentence. It's intended to be. But everything there really matters. And those are the attributes that we see in Scripture. We prayed some of that in our pastoral prayer this morning, words from there. That's who we're to be. That's who the church is to be. That is our reach. 
It's intended in that way. That's what it means to reach. Now, in the scriptures, Old Testament and New, we find promises of this, predictions of this, foretelling of this. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, the calling of Abraham, our father Abraham, where we have come from spiritually, and we are a part of the fulfillment of this very promise. It says in Genesis 12, the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Through your reaching influence, all people will be blessed. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, in the New Testament, of this church, of the people of God, it said, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. That's the church according to scripture. That's who we are. That's the whole concept of reaching. It started in Genesis. Genesis. It continues in the New Testament. And now it continues on 1414 Calhoun Road in Greenwood, South Carolina for this specific congregation. And there are faithful congregations sprinkled all around us. But I'm speaking specifically of our duty and our responsibility as the church that meets at 1414 Calhoun Road, currently in the gymnasium. We are to be a reaching people. Reaching should be at the front and center of every member's mind. Amen? Charles Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary, a witness, we would say, or an imposter. It's a pretty strong speech, but I think we understand what he says. If you've been reached, you become a reacher. You're one who reaches too. Now, secondly, reach. Well, why do we reach? Why would we be concerned with this? Why would this get on our radar as, as individuals, as families, and as a church family? Why would this be so important? Well, quite literally, it's because it's the great commission that Jesus gave his disciples. His last parting words to his disciples. What mattered most to him, what he would have them continue to do on earth as he would be in heaven, was the words of the Great Commission. Listen to them again. He says, Jesus came, said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore you, disciples, go, make other disciples of all nations, all people groups, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, Oh, and by the way, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So he is doing this with us and through us. He is the reacher using us to do the reaching. That's why we do it. And that's why we have to do it with vigor, with passion, with commitment. These were his last and parting words to his disciples. 
Our last and parting words to people tend to be good summaries of everything that matters most to us. And so it was with Jesus. Reaching, baptizing, and teaching were the priority for Jesus and for his disciples. In our denominational standards, it's called the gathering and perfecting of the saints. That we're to be reaching, expecting that the Lord is gathering people and perfecting them. That is growing them in holiness, changing them, giving them that deep change that we talked about last week. So God is gathering and perfecting his people in his church through all ages, through all times. And we don't know who they are and we don't know what they look like, but we know that he's at work and he's doing that very work through us. And so it becomes a vigorous and passionate work for the church, of the church, by the church. So how do we do this reaching? What does this reaching look like? Well, let me say, first of all, on the defensive, it doesn't mean that we accommodate to worldliness. It doesn't mean we become like the world in order to win the world. The church is a very peculiar people. We're a distinct people. What makes us stand out in the world is not supposed to be weirdness. It's supposed to be holiness. We're supposed to be more and more like the character and the nature of the God who has called us, who has saved us. And the world's going to see that as weird at times. But God says it's holy. We're to have a passion for things that the world does not understand or care about. So when I say reach, don't hear me as saying, oh, well, we're just going to do anything and everything to get people in the door. That's not, that's not reaching. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm suggesting that the Bible suggests is that our reach, get this, is through holiness. It's a holy reach that we have. That is a holy reach that is extended through holy hospitality. A holy hospitality, a spirit of hospitality that models Christ to the world. You've heard me talk about this before, that that Christian parties, Christian gatherings should not be the worst parties and gatherings. They should be the best. We should be generous. We should be abundant in our love of our neighbors. That's one holy way in which we reach. We're to truly love our neighbors and the people around us. We're to have a holy ministry that teaches and preaches Christ. Holy in the sense that it's different, it's distinct. It's talking about things that the world doesn't understand, but seeking to do it winsomely, revealing the holiness of God and of His Christ. This may be a good place to plug our adult Sunday school class that resumed today. Meeting here at 9.30 a.m. as over the next about 15 weeks, we're going to be studying and considering the subject of marriage, family, and sexuality. Three things that are holy to the Lord. Three things that our world is very confused on. So if you have any interest in hearing from the scriptures about the holiness of God and how marriage and family and sexuality all of which are very confused today, how we as a church perceive those from Scripture, that'd be a great place to get to know more about GPC. Sundays at 9.30. That's a part of a holy ministry, a holy teaching and preaching of Christ and His Word. Our worship is supposed to be holy. 
and devoted to Christ. There should be something different about what happens in this hour together corporately as we come together, we confess our sinfulness, and we proclaim God's holiness, His mercy and His goodness to us in Christ. That is holy time. You're not going to get that in the world. You're going to get that in a faithful church, a Bible-believing church. Church, So our worship is to be holy and devoted to Christ. And then fourthly, it should have a holy service that honors Christ. Meaning we should be serving. We should be loving. We should have deeds of mercy, deeds of goodness that bless greater greenwood all around us. That's what it means to have a reach, a holy reach into the world. Now it means more than these four things. But I simply wanted to highlight those four things. A holy hospitality, a holy ministry of teaching and preaching, a holy worship, and a holy service to our fellow man, to our neighbor. You could put it this way, that those, that's, that's our offense. That's the offense that we run as a church. The offense of holiness, seeking to honor the Lord for who He is and for what he does. Let me give you a few examples of, of this offense, of the church being on offense, trying to reach, trying to love and serve well. You know that we have corporate reach. We have events at the church. We just had the um, Christmas Eve service, the candlelight service, and an evening filled with, with music and with a homily. That's a reaching event. When done well, as it was, that is an event you could invite people to, where hopefully they would feel warmly welcomed, it would feel hospitable here, that there's a place for everyone to come and hear these carols of the Christ and to hear a homily revealing who he is and what he did. We have other church events, the, the hymn sing in the fall with the barbecue. That's not just for us. That's for you to invite people to come, that they would see the church, see its fellowship, see its sincere and holy commitment to Christ, and maybe through God's Spirit be drawn into that community. Other events throughout the church year and probably many more to be added, women's fellowships, men fellowships, youth group that meets on Sunday nights, resuming tonight at 6 o'clock, by the way. Those are all efforts to reach to nurture, and to equip. It's, they're not events to fill your social calendar to give you something to do. They're to reach and to nurture and to equip. And we should expect God to be reaching and nurturing and equipping us and others through them. There are other ways that we try to reach as a congregation. There are missionaries, and there are a lot of missionaries that we support in this church that we support financially and with prayer. Those are reaching efforts in other lands coming from this congregation. It's all about reaching, nurturing, and equipping. There are other ways that we do that. You know, I spent uh, 19 years as a campus minister working largely with RUF. RUF is on 160 campuses, Reformed University Fellowship, sending campus ministers to campuses for what purpose? To reach, to nurture, and to equip. So a campus minister, and our own Jonathan Cook, who's preaching elsewhere this morning, 
He is at Erskine College for that very reason, to reach, nurture, and equip. And so whether it's college campuses or foreign lands or right here through our own congregation at 1414 Calhoun Road, it's about reaching, nurturing, and equipping. Soup, salad, and bread. And if you walk into a church or into a ministry and they're doing the equivalent of cooking burgers on a panini machine with smoke everywhere and flies everywhere, you'll know it. You'll know it. If you visited a church that was not committed to reaching, nurturing, and equipping, it may stand out quickly to you. I don't know what they're for, but didn't feel like soup, salad, and bread. We want that experience for all who come in our doors, that it would be very clear who we are, what we're for, what we're about, that it is the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our soup, salad, and bread is to reach, to nurture, and to equip. Those are ways that we do it. Missionaries, campus ministries. But I want to finish that point with an emphasis on the greatest reaching element that we have. And do you know it's not the sermon? It's not the Sunday school? It's not the music in church? Do you know what the greatest reaching arm and capacity at GPC is? It's you being faithful, ordinary, normal Christians at work, at home, in your neighborhood, at the gym, when you go to Walmart, when you go to Starbucks, when you go to the bread company. It's you being the hands and the feet of Christ himself, loving people well, speaking truth, inviting people and welcoming them into the avenues of ministry, maybe at GPC. But I don't want to highlight the missionaries and the campus ministers and the pastors and the Sunday school so much as I want to highlight you. God says you're the church. You're the people who take his name forward into the earth, into the everyday nooks and crannies of life. So consider that. Monday through Saturday, you're the church in the world. Sunday, we're the church gathered. But you're the church in the world, and we thank God for it. We've got to be a reaching community. We have to have a mentality of reaching in everything that we do, lest we drift from the principles and from the purpose of ministry. So this week I learned some things or was reminded of some things, and I'll probably get some dates and some details wrong, so don't judge me, just forgive me. But it was somewhere around 1990-ish, at a church nearby that the use of a basketball goal on the church grounds became an effective way of reaching, gathering people who didn't attend the church. And the people who were coming to play basketball at the church on the grounds were of a different socioeconomic background than the people who worshipped in the church building. And they were of a different skin color, a different race than those who worshipped in the church building. But that basketball goal and the love of some within the church to play basketball created an opportunity to welcome warmly, sincerely, and to invite 
other youth, teenagers, to come and play basketball. After some time of playing basketball over the course of days or weeks or months, I understand that that led to a very natural invitation to say, well, why don't you come to our VBS? Why don't you come to our church for some teaching, some communicating of what we're about? And, and they did. And then that led to, a, well, why don't you join us for worship? Why don't you come on Sunday morning? And this church um, would then see an influx of some individuals, some families that were of a different socioeconomic class and of a different race, worshiping with them on Sundays. And then I'm told, I understand, that at least some, I think a very few in the church, had drifted from soup, salad, and bread. They had drifted from the purpose and the principles and saw the church and its gathering as something that, well, it wouldn't include such diversity. And as time would go on, that would expose that there had been a drifting from a beautiful purpose to a not-so-beautiful purpose. Something that many families believed, we've got to be about soup, salad, and bread. We've got to be about the gospel and about God's word. And just to speed that story up and sum it up, if you don't know... Many of those families, many of them at that church, reached the hard and difficult decision to withdraw and to start a church somewhere else that could boldly be for the gospel for all people, the free offer of the gospel for all people, to reach with intentionality and to fold in to a growing and healthy community that sought to believe the gospel. And those families, coming up now, I think 30 years ago, if I'm correct, I think that's correct, would have start this church. My understanding, that's the origin, and many of you were here, and you can correct me afterwards on the details. That's the start of Greenwood Presbyterian Church, was families that said, we want to stick to the purpose and the principles. And we want to be a congregation in the Presbyterian Church in America. And so they would meet elsewhere until a property could be purchased and a building could be begun and then added to. And, and that's the history of the church at 1414 Calhoun Road. It began on a basketball court in that sense. Through reaching, through inviting, through welcoming, through growing and including and that's the church being the church. And I'll tell you, that's a beautiful story. That's how it should be. And so that kind of mission of reaching continues. It continues at 1414 Calhoun Road. And it's to continue through you. As you are a reacher. At home, at work, at play, wherever you are. That God is growing his church. He's adding people to his number. And perhaps God would grow this church through that kind of reach, even in the years ahead. It's a beautiful story, but it's only beautiful if the reaching continues, if that generous reaching continues beyond now. And fourthly and lastly, I thought it would be important to note, what does it look like when someone or a family is reached? What's the conclusion of this reaching? Pastor Paul, are you saying that you're just getting people in? 
that they're coming for whatever and they just show up. You're just looking for regular attenders. Is that what you're saying? That's really not at all what I'm saying. It's not at all. Um, Here's nine things that I do mean. If you've been reached in the way that Greenwood Presbyterian Church desires, what that means is you've been reached with the gospel and are converted to faith in Christ. It means you've had that experience where you have transferred your trust from yourself or anybody else, and you've put it in the person of Jesus and in the gospel. And that has changed the trajectory of your life, truly, sincerely, and deeply. You're a different person, living for a different purpose. So you're converted to faith in Christ. And those who are converted to Christ, now listen carefully, those who have transferred their trust from themselves or from anything else and put it in Christ... We believe those people are to be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to celebrate and inaugurate what God is doing in the life of that adult or that child or that family and their infant. That's what we believe, that baptism would be a part of your being reached. We believe that they would then be folded into church membership that they would have a church family of elders who care for them and pray for them and oversee them and love them the way that elders are called to do in Scripture. That those who are reached would be united to Christ and to His church, not one without the other. Fourthly, it would mean those who are reached, that they're actually growing in grace, that their trajectory continues towards becoming more and more like God. There's disciplines of faith, disciplines of life that are overcoming them and renewing them in good and beautiful ways. And that fifthly, repentance is a part of their life. Learning to turn from sin, to deny their fleshly appetites, and to walk in obedience to the living God and to His Word. Sixthly, it would mean those who are reached have a high view of personal and public worship. That for them to worship at home would be ordinary, to read scripture, to pray. And that public worship, the one time a week we come together and do that corporately, it would be a high priority and value in the life of the one who is reached. Seventhly, it would mean that that gathering with the fellowship of the saints and the Lord's table would be a beautiful thing to you. A source of grace, a source of hope, a source of encouragement. And eighthly, it would mean that you would be committed to a lifelong process of discipleship. Not saying that you grow when you're young and then you stay the same the rest of your life after that. But that growing in grace and being a lifelong disciple would be something that you've been reached for. You're committed to it. You want it. And then ninthly and lastly, it would mean this. That you, if you are reached, would then become a reacher. One who really does care about the people around you that doesn't just explain people away as a nuisance, a problem, people who eat up your time in life, but that you actually would become conscious that you are one who reaches with love, grace, mercy, and truth. You become a part of the reach of God to the people around you. You would become a participant and not a spectator of ministry. That's what it would mean to be reached. So ask yourself, are you reached? Are there categories that are absent in your life, maybe through neglect, maybe through busyness, maybe through just not thinking about it? 
But this is a vision of what it is to be a reached people who seek to reach people. Next week, we'll talk about what it is to nurture the faith of those in the church and how we intentionally try to equip them to grow in grace. But as we leave this morning, I want to send you with the thought of, are you reaching? Is reaching even on your mind? Is it a category in your life? And for some of you like me who are introverts, it's kind of hard to think about reaching, talking to people about weighty, significant spiritual matters. That can be pretty daunting, right? Well, there's an illustration that came up in the news this week that's just too good to not use because this person was willing to live through the awkwardness of initiating conversation for the good of another, to try to save another and to love another. And you may have seen it. So this was in the New York Times this week. And the title of the article is this. Hockey fan, I don't watch hockey, I'm not a hockey fan. Hockey fan spots cancerous mole at a game and delivers a life-saving note. Did you hear this story? It's amazing. Listen to this. Nadia Popovici kept shifting her eyes from the hockey game to the back of Hamilton's neck, Brian Hamilton. Mr. Hamilton, an assistant equipment manager for the Vancouver Canucks, had a small mole there on his neck. It measured about two centimeters and was irregularly shaped and red-brown in color. Possible characteristics of a cancerous mole, signs that Mrs. Popovici had learned to spot when she was volunteering at hospitals as a nursing assistant. So she's not even a nurse. She's not necessarily professionally trained. She just knows a little bit, just a little bit. So what does she do with the little bit that she feels that she knows? She thought to herself, well, maybe he already knows. Maybe I shouldn't say anything to him because it would be awkward and it would be weird. But if so, she thought, well, why is the mole still there? So she concluded in her mind that he probably doesn't know and that I need to tell him. So Mrs. Popovici, age 22, told her parents at that hockey game um, that she would then tell him. So what she did was she typed a message on her cell phone, highlighted the key words of cancer and mole and get it checked out. And after the game, she would get his attention, waving him down through the glass. You remember, there's glass that are separating these people, so you can't hear. So she's waving him down awkwardly in public. And when she finally catches his eye, she awkwardly sticks the phone up against the glass wall to get him to read it. And the note simply said something to the effect of, uh, you have a mole on the back of your neck that you need to have seen. It might be cancer. What's the sum of the story at the end? He thought to himself, she's crazy. Who would do this in public? This is weird. This is awkward. But then as he thought about it, he said, what if it's true? What if she's right? So he did go to the doctor. And it was cancerous. And in that sense, he says, She saved my life through an awkward encounter, 
a strange encounter. She believed enough that she might be right, that she would speak up, stick the phone on the glass wall, the plexiglass wall, and save my life. When he found out that it was cancerous and he had it dealt with, he had no way to get in touch with her, but he wanted to thank her. And so he reached out through social media, found her, and the, this is a nice conclusion to the story. The two hockey teams together put together scholarship money for her to send her to medical school if she should go. Well, that's sweet, but that's not my point. My point is sometimes it's having the courage to say true things even when you've got no idea where the outcome is going to be. But if you have a little bit of knowledge and you think, you know, I think this is right and it would be good for them, then you boldly and willingly tell the truth, right? So that's what happened there. And that's my encouragement to you. Some of you would think to yourself, you know, I'm kind of overwhelmed by the Bible. Um, I don't know a lot. So I'll just leave that to, to all the scholars to talk about the Lord to people. I'll just be a quiet little mouse in the background. No, God's calling you to share what you know. If you have hope, to share where you have found hope. If you found forgiveness of sins, to share with others where you have found the forgiveness of your sins. To sit on that information is neither faithful nor good. So may God give you a heart and a spirit to be a reacher to be bold and courageous in reaching and sharing what you know. And may, J, may GPC, just as we began on a basketball court with a few people being faithful, may we be many people being faithful through many different means that God might reach Greenwood and beyond through simple and small but faithful things. Let's pray together. Lord, would you work that spirit of faithfulness in us? Would you overcome our timidity, our fears, our self-consciousness, our introversion? And would you give us an overwhelming confidence in you being at work and in you reaching through the reachers? And Lord, would you grow your church that years from now we might hear new stories of new families, new individuals who've been reached through simple gospel ministry. Do that, Lord, we ask and we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen.